This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to another episode of Kentucky Daily. This is Derek Terry, joined by Sean Smith. Sean, uh, Kentucky Daily uh, record here for us. A, a first time we're going to do a post-game basketball edition of, of the show. So you are currently traveling. I'll let uh, you fill in those details uh, as we go. But the main gist of this is we were both in Rupp Arena tonight, a very odd setting uh, for pandemic basketball. But as is the case most years, Kentucky opened the season with an 81-45 to victory over Moorhead State. Sean, overall impressions, just just lay it all out there. I want to hear what you thought about the game. Well, first of all, I'll let you know, I'll fill in the details while I'm traveling. So we were at Rupp Arena together tonight, and I'm already just outside Indianapolis, headed to Chicago uh, for Thanksgiving. I'm uh, going to spend two or three days up here with Keeley's family. And then I'll be back Sunday for UK Richmond. But for some thoughts on UK Moorhead State, Derek, I think it was better than what I thought it was going to be because last night I told you that I didn't think they would cover the spread. And uh, I didn't just because they had they didn't have an exhibition season. I, I didn't think that they would come out with the way that they played, especially given what Cal said on Monday with having hands and a head and feet and everything else on the panic button. <laughs> uh, but I think that we got to see exactly what – we all think this team could turn into at some point. We got to see the length defensively that I've been talking for months now that I think that this one through five across this roster, it could be one of the better defensive teams just because of the length and the versatility that they have at all those spots. Uh, I think the perimeter play is as good as advertised. They're only going to get better. And I think that's the encouraging thing that if I'm a Kentucky fan tonight as I'm taking away from it is they didn't have to use Olivier's heart as much as what I thought. I think they're going to have to at times. Like I, I know the next couple of games they're going to try to make one to get him going on the block. Uh, but Derek, the biggest takeaway about Sar tonight is he didn't press when he hadn't scored in the first half. He played within himself. I thought he was a willing passer, uh, made some good plays out of those double teams. I think John Calipari has a roster with a lot to like that if the season goes as planned, don't have too many postponements or cancellations, uh, this could be a very good basketball team by the time turn play comes around. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, your first point was one of the things that I took away is just kind of, and Cal said it in the post game, was kind of how smooth they all played together and kind of how well they played. Uh Think about this. The the longest or the largest run, I should say, that Moorhead State went on was was 4-0. That's it. So Kentucky stopped any run before it started. Moorhead State, obviously, you know, what we pretty much knew about going into this game was obviously Kentucky was much more talented. 
and Kentucky was going to have a size and length advantage. And I think that certainly played a role. But more at State had a really hard time getting into offense. Um, they shot a bunch of threes. Well, I wouldn't say a bunch of today's kind of basketball. They went three for 21. They didn't make many. They shot, you know, several, but they didn't make many. They only shot 14% from three, and they only shot 34% for the game. Turned it over 20 times. So Kentucky did a good job in all of those areas. Um, Morehead State did have 11 offensive rebounds. That matched Kentucky's number, but they only had four points on second chance opportunities. I would say, and I'm going to have this, most of this podcast is all going to be positive things because there's just not a whole lot to nitpick. I will say, Sean, and maybe this is classic Kentucky basketball. I won't even say it's an overreaction because I think it's a legitimate thing. I, I do worry a little bit if they have enough in the front court. Because Jackson and Saar both went out pretty early. Jackson got his second foul at the 13-minute mark, Saar at uh, the 10-minute mark. And their front court at that point was uh, Lance Ware, who is a big man. And then pretty much Jacob Toppin was the first guy who got in there. And Lance Ware is your five. You know, in today's college basketball, he can do that a little bit. But I just worry – or not really worry. It's not really my place to worry about it. It's cows to figure out. I wonder, though, when they get into a matchup where they do have teams that can match up with them physically, how they will fare. And, and you know, that I think that's the risk you run, too, when you play Jackson and Sar together is the foul trouble where they both kind of picked them up early there in the first half. Uh, Jackson, of course, the, the charge, I don't, I don't know why he thought that that was a good idea. That was yeah. obviously a freshman mistake, but they followed it with a nice play in transition. I, I think you're spot on with that is they're, they certainly have the talent in the front court. It's just, will they have enough bodies that can give them some production? And when Keon Brooks comes back, you know, he's going to slide in. Somebody's going to be the odd man out. Oh, shoot, I forgot about him already. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, I mean, that certainly helps things. Yeah, it does. If you have him. But it's going to push either Jacob Toppin or Lance Ware out. I think Cameron Fletcher is here to stay, Derek. I think that was one of the big takeaways for me. And the reason I think he's here to stay is because I think he does all those things that John Calipari says if you want to play, it's not about putting the ball in the baskets. It's, it's, it's do you do these things? Do you dive on the floor? Do you two-handed rebound? Are you Do you have a will to win? And honestly, Derek, I, I feel like he's the story about this first game. And I don't think any of us even saw that coming. Yeah, that's what I wrote about tonight. Um one, he passed the eye test, I thought. Like, when you watched him play, he, he looked good. Second, the analytics um, showed that as well. He was basically their, he was basically their best player tonight. Uh, his efficiency was 17. Game score was 11.3, which was second only to Terrence Clark. But in terms of net points, he led everybody with 7.4. So, um, very good first performance. For And I don't know if it's Cameron or Cameron. I can't really figure it out. I've heard of both from people at UK and then people on TV. I, I'm just going to call him Cam. Cam Fletcher is what he's going to be in my eyes. So, Cam, he was someone, and, and basically the story that I wrote, and probably what everybody's going to write if I had to guess, is that this guy who was the lowest-rated recruit on the team, well, in last year's class, which was still a pretty high ranking, he, you know, nobody really talked about him in the preseason. Matter of fact, as we are known to do at Kentucky when you're always projecting ahead, like, I mean, I thought the story more with him would be trying to keep him around for a few years to develop him. <laughs> and then he comes out there his first game, and, again, it's Morehead State, but played really well. Uh, did a lot of th- – he shot the ball better than I thought, really. I mean, his first career bucket's a corner three off of an offensive rebound. Hit some mid-range shots. 
he seems like the kind of guy to me who, who will be able to get to the rim a little bit more in the future. Um, overall, I agree with you. To me, I thought I thought I wouldn't call him the only story because he wasn't, but uh, an encouraging sign for a guy that maybe we didn't think would would play a huge role this year. Yeah, it, it's his motor for me. I think that he played with the will to win, and like I said, he checked off every box that Cal looks for. And guys, you know how many times have we heard Cal say, you don't have to score, you you have to defend, you have to rebound, and you have to buy into your role. And I think that he's already off to a good start and buying in on – he knows how he fits on, in on this team. And Did you see his floor percentage number? The play where he dove on the – I didn't. Okay, so so the floor percentage, it's, it's the indication – it's – how many times, uh, basically, the four percentage is a percentage of a player's possessions on which at least one point is scored. 83% when Cameron Fletcher was on the floor. Uh, that's, a, that's a great number. Uh, Isaiah Jackson's was 71%, too, by the way. So Cameron Fletcher played 17 minutes, but whenever he was out there, Kentucky was playing very well. I'm sorry to cut you off there, but oh, that's, no, a, you're fine. that's a huge number. Yeah, you're fine. That that is a huge number, and I, I just think that that's the biggest takeaway. There there's a lot of takeaways to not do, Derek. And I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, the point guard spot. It, it certainly sounds like Devin Askew kind of has the starting job locked up. Uh, Terrence Clark called him the starting point guard in the post game. Yeah. Uh, referred to Davion Mintz as the backup, and I think the minutes showed that tonight too. There was a, I think at least was it ten minutes. I think that Askew played 10 more minutes than Mintz did, maybe 27, 17, That's if right. I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, I think a lot of that has to do with Couch. I think Couch trusts Mintz more than Askew right now, just given the experience. But I think that's why you saw the minutes go the other way, is I think Cal knows that Askew probably needs to be the guy running the show when they get into the NCAA tournament or late in SEC play. Uh, Askew had some turnovers, but also thought he'd done a lot of things very well, Derek, for his first college basketball game for a kid that could be a senior in high school right now. But also thought men's come in and showed that he might have the best stroke on this team from three-point range. I mean, it looks good out of his hands. Uh, I think Kentucky has a very good setup with both those point guards there. But I made a comment to you during the game when you came up uh, to my seat there, and I told you as far as length and athleticism, I'm going to hold off on declaring this. But I think when you look at Boston and Clark and what these wings do as far as a backcourt and their versatility with Clark to play one through three and Boston with his versatility, the athleticism and length that they have on the defensive end and in transition, Derek, I think this is going to be more one of one of their more explosive backcourts of the Cal era. I would put it up there with John Wall, Bledsoe, and Duncan Box. I think those are easily – the two most dynamic as far as athleticism and explosiveness and speed. But when you look at the way that this backcourt, they affect the game in so many ways, and they impact it on the defensive end and transition. If they can shoot the ball and do those things, they can certainly make their impact too. And I think they're going to make it felt on the on the glass too. Yeah, if you look at Clark, if you just go to the box score, he, he really stuffed the stat sheet tonight. 12 points on 5 and 9 shooting. He did miss both his threes, and, and Boston missed all his threes as well. He went over 4. But back to Clark, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals in 31 minutes. So if some if you're someone who cares about plus minus, he was plus 33 and Boston was plus 34. I know some people don't care about that stat, but if you do care about it, those are the numbers. Um, going back to the, the thing you're talking about with point guards, 
I, I agree with you. Um, and, you know, for, I was riding a lot of the second half, so I wasn't paying as close of attention as I did in the first half. Um, like, it surprises me that, that Askew had four turnovers. I just, I guess I just missed those because I wasn't paying enough attention, I guess. But whenever I was out there watching and, and paying close attention, Askew, he, he impressed me. I, I thought it, I love his shot, and you're right about Mintz. He's got a good shot as well. I mean, this is a team that I think is going to be able to shoot the ball. Like, you're not going to count on Boston to miss all of his three-point shots. Like, he might end up being a Tyler Hero, Devin Booker type that maybe they start off a little bit slow, but you know, by the end of the year, you look up and their numbers are pretty good from three. I think Boston's just too have a shooter. To, I'm not even worried about that at all, that he went over four from three. Um, but ask you, no, I, he, pretty good mid-range game, hit two threes. Uh, I like the way he uses guys a little bit. I, I'm curious, and I was going to ask this, but I got time for another question for Cal. I just – I wonder how much he's used Askew and Mintz together in practice, because I'm sure it's tough, unless you're going to put Clark there on the second team, which I think they have done based off of Clark's comments. But I just think that'd be an interesting lineup, because Askew and Mintz both shoot the ball well enough that you don't have to play them on the ball. And if you want Terrence to run the show, and I know we talked about this previously on the podcast, I don't know if we talked about uh, Askew and Mintz both being on the floor, but just in terms of late in games, giving Clark the ball, letting him make decisions. Yeah. I mean, I could see that being a lineup that he at least – Tinkers with a little bit, but it would probably have to be in a scenario where Boston's not really available. Maybe he's in foul trouble or something because, you know, late in the game, Boston's going to be one of the guys out there. But I would like to see them, and really they don't have a ton of opportunities left probably against uh, inferior competition to kind of experiment with some of these things. But what would you think about uh, – could you see that as a possibility? Maybe putting uh, Clark – or sorry, uh, Mintz and Askew off the ball? I think it is a possibility. I think that you can see that at some point. And Derek, I'll even go further. I think that there's a lineup at some point that will feature the two point guards, Clark and Boston, on the floor together with Sarr or Jackson. I think that uh, we're starting. I think we saw Cal adapt a little bit tonight, even though it was only for 40 minutes. I want to see if he does it uh, when the games get tight against some of these teams like Kansas or Richmond. Uh, he pressed. And, but it's a little bit of token pressure, a little bit of run and jump mixed in with it. They even ran a half-court trap situation out in the second half there a couple of times. Uh, but I think that he went five out, too, for the first few minutes of the game. Some things that we haven't seen Cal do, especially with two bigs playing together. Uh, I do think that that lineup is something we'll see. I texted you there in the second half. I said, is this the first time that Askew and Mintz have been on the floor together? And it was. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in seeing what happens. Like if, if one of those guards do get in foul trouble like Boston or Clark, I think we definitely see it then. Uh, but I just like the versatility of this team across the board. I think it's going to be interesting to see, though. I think they feel really good about seven guys. I'm, I'm counting Keon in that seven, so Keon and Mintz off the bench. Uh, I'm, I'm confident that that's Cal's rotation. I think that Brooks will come off the bench when he returns which isn't a bad thing, Derek, if you can bring experience and Keon Brooks and Davion Mintz off your bench to go with all that talent and those freshmen they have in the starting lineup. But the question for me will be, who is eight? Is it Cameron Fletcher? I think from what we saw tonight, I actually think that he's there to stay. But can they get to nine and get another guy rolling as well? If they do, then I think this team has potential to be very, very good. But I'm confident that they got seven guys they feel really good about, but I, I think that they feel a lot better about eight if that's who Cameron Fletcher is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you had Keon in there too, right? Are you adding Keon? He was my. He was in my seven. He was my seventh guy. Okay, so 
the way I was thinking of it off the bench, Brooks, Mintz, and, and Ware, for sure, guys, I think you're going to play. Well, so, with Ware, I'm interested in seeing what happens with Ware. I want to see where he goes. He does seem and, to be a little different. You know, on a team full of really athletic guys, I think he kind of sticks out of someone. I mean, that's just not his game. You know, he's he's different. He's more of a – kind of more of an old school guy, really. He is, but I think that's where – the one question mark I have right now – is how does this team respond when someone hits them in the mouth? Yeah. Uh, you know Cal is hoping he gets to see that Sunday versus Richmond. You know that that Sunday game before the Champions Classic, it's always been a quality opponent. It's been Buffalo a couple of times. He, he wants to be tested to an extent. I think Cal would like to see his team kind of get in a situation where you kind of see the guys that want to fight and the guys that don't want to fight. And honestly, if we're talking physicality, I think Lance Ware's probably one of the most physical players on the roster, and I think that's where he could help. Uh, but I'm just interested to see what happens with the front court and stuff when Brooks comes back. You know, what's this rotation look like? We, I, I told you last night that I thought 10 guys would play. I was counting 11 with a healthy key on Brooks. I don't think that 10 guys are going to play three weeks from now. I think it will shrink to eight, possibly nine. And then again, Derek, in a year like this, you need every single guy on your roster because you don't know exactly what's going to strike at any point with injuries. Or we saw Jackson tweak his ankle and stuff there late in the game. And not him and Terrence Clark actually both came off limping there for a stretch, but they, I'm sure, I'm sure they're both okay. Uh, I'm just interested in seeing how deep this rotation goes. We know Cal has a tendency to kind of shrink that thing once it gets to a certain point. And, you know, is he going to adapt? Is he going to play more guys, especially in a year like this? I don't know. Where, where does Jacob Toppin fit in two or three weeks from now? That's what I was going to say. And maybe maybe Toppin didn't play as much because if you think about it this way, Toppin was off the bench before Fletcher was. So I think going into the game, it was a little bit better about Toppin. Uh, but then you look at the numbers, Fletcher played 17 minutes, Toppin only played eight. And uh, he more or less confirmed in the post game that Dante Allen. I mean, I think he likes Dante, but it's pretty clear that he just, you know, he likes those other guys more right now. Yeah. So, I mean, Allen, too, when we talk about Allen, from what we know about him and from what we even saw tonight, whenever he uh, hit that three, it's kind of what he is. I don't know if he'll be able to defend well enough, but you, you texted me and thought you were right. I mean, they had a pretty big lead the whole second half, and he only got in there for what, like the last two minutes of the second half? So, only played six yeah. minutes total. And, in a season like this where you don't know how much, you know, and I understand that because Cal is playing all new guys tonight, so you need to play those guys you're for sure going to be counting on. you got to get them plenty of minutes. I totally get it. Uh, you know, it's a long season or potentially a long season, depending on how many games they get to play. So there's time for this to change. But I, I would say when you're talking about rotations, like I, it does seem like it's going to be pretty tough for Allen to kind of crack the rotation this year. Uh, and I, and I would probably go as far as to say I think once Brooks do what? Especially at the position he plays. Yeah, it's definitely the, uh, the most depth on the team is kind of all those wings out there. The, the but, area to get on the floor this year is at the four, the four or five. Yeah. I, that's if, if Jacob Toppin or someone at that four spot or Lance Ware, that's where you get on the floor this year. Uh, it's not on the perimeter. They have too many guys on the, on the perimeter that can play, and that, that, I mean, that's obviously where their firepower is at. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and two, I, I think, you know, I don't – we'll see where it goes. I don't want to make all these grand predictions for one game. Like, I do think if you're talking about odd men out potentially, I think Toppin – and I think they're okay with that too because there was even a chance that Toppin wasn't going to be eligible this year anyway. And I think 
Jacob's mindset. Anything he gets to do this year is going to help him, but I don't think it's a deal where he came here expecting to play a ton of minutes anyway. So I think I still think him and Allen are probably going to have this kind of as a developmental year. You get them in when you can, unless something happens. And you, I mean, I think like Toppin probably stands a better chance for sure than Allen to play, just because he's a little bit taller, probably a little bit stronger. But um, yeah. I don't know any other thing. I mean, we haven't talked about really. We've not really talked about Sar at all. Didn't didn't have a point or a rebound well, in the first half, but finished with eight and uh, eight and three. Yeah, uh, my takeaway, I was. I was wrong last night when I told you that I that I thought that there would be some defensive breakdowns there because there weren't many. Uh, I thought they were very good in pick and roll. I thought that they communicated very well. And two, we didn't get to see it from Kentucky tonight, but you can tell that they worked with zone defensively because they executed against it themselves. Uh, I thought that Cal, I thought that the half-court offense in good zone, I thought the ball was moving and didn't stick. Uh, I like the called sets that they had where Sar would pin down and they would try to flash B.J. Boston there in around the block. I thought that that was a very good quick hitter that they got some action out of. Um, I just thought overall their zone offense was very good. They screened it. They skipped the ball. They they posted out those double teams some at the high post short corners. I thought it was very good for a team that didn't get an exhibition season, and this is the first game that they've had against live competition other than themselves. I thought they looked good in that part, which tells me they have been playing some zone in practices. Yeah, as, as we wrap this up, I think that's going to be my main takeaway as well. It's, you know, it's kind of what you talked about. They um, just looked a, a lot better than, than I was expecting them to. I think they got a chance to be a a really solid team. I mean, like you said, there's going to be – like against Moorhead, that was not a team that could really push them. Uh, they really didn't push them at all, actually. I, I'm not going to say Cal's – I mean, I think Cal's going to be happy with that. But like you said, come Sunday against Richmond, you're expecting a much better opponent. Uh, a team in Richmond that is going to be playing in up Friday night. So, you know, they'll have a game in the building. They'll be – whatever settings, however odd it was, they'll at least be used to it somewhat. There will be more people in the building, obviously, on Sunday for Kentucky-Richmond. But, um, you know, they've played one game there, and they'll probably be comfortable and looking to score a pretty big win. Richmond will be. And, I mean, I – don't want to bring up bad vibes for anybody, but after Evansville came in there last year, I know it's a whole different team, but I got to think that's going to be something that these mid-major teams that come in, they know that they they can beat Kentucky, at least they're going to hope they can, and uh, I'm sure they'll use that from last season as a, as a rallying cry, but perhaps Richmond views themselves as better than that anyway. I mean, it's a team that uh, in the athletic, uh, multiple people pick Richmond as a sweet 16 team, so a lot of love for that team, and um, Sean, that's pretty much it for me. If you have any more closing thoughts, uh, let's hear them before we hang up the phone and get ready for bed and get ready for big Thanksgiving tomorrow. Well, I think you're spot on with Richmond. Uh, that's a team that's going to come into to Rupp Arena Sunday with the intentions of winning that basketball game, Derek. I think the schedule, uh, the initial schedule was set up Morehead State, Detroit, than Richmond. It was set up like that for a reason. I think that obviously Morehead State was the lesser of the three opponents, and I think that Richmond's the strongest. And I think that that was the plan, was to get a game or two under your belt, play Richmond, and then go into that game versus Kansas on Tuesday night. And, I mean, you're seeing right now that there's some games around the country. I know when we started recording, Villanova was down six versus Boston College in the second half. I don't know what that game is now. But, I mean, you're kind of in a spot where you know you didn't get the normal preseason. You didn't get exhibitions. And I think that's the encouraging thing for Kentucky fans to take away tonight. 
that they executed at a high level to have not played together and to have not been in that spot. Um, I thought the offense looked good. Like I said, I thought the defense looked really good. This has the potential, Derek, to be one of the better teams that John Calipari's had defensively, and that's saying something because he's had a lot of good teams. Uh, I really like this team. I'm excited to kind of see where they go from here, uh, but I think I'm going to be with Cal. I think I, I, even though he didn't really say it, I don't think unless I missed it, uh, kinds of, you know, I, I know he wants to see this team get hit in the mouth and see how they respond because you're certainly going to know a lot more about this team and who they are and who they have after the next two games. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and uh, Villanova and Boston College are in a very close game. It was 63-61, Villanova with 558 left. And then uh, a U.K. opponent next weekend, Georgia Tech, is actually trailing Georgia State in double overtime. So that one's not final yet, but uh, – Back and forth it goes down there. So I, I don't know how good Georgia State is. I can't imagine, though, that's a good sign for Georgia Tech that they're in a no. double overtime no. with a team of that level. But, uh, Sean, I want to wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, all of our listeners, hope you guys are safe. Hope you have a good time. Uh, it's going to be a different year for sure, but I hope everybody is still able to uh, to still enjoy the holiday. This is usually a great time. So, our recording schedule, we'll, we won't record tomorrow. For a lot of you people, you'll probably be listening to this on Thanksgiving Day unless you're just up at midnight <laughs> waiting for the episode to drop. So happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Sean and I will be back on Friday, I believe. Uh, we've not coordinated it yet, but, Sean, yeah. if you get some time, we'll be back. We'll discuss uh, our mailbag. Mailbag Friday. Mailbag yeah. Friday. Can't miss well, it. Well, that's the thing. We didn't get into Mark Stoops and that and how many guys they have out on the team and on staff. We'll dive into that Friday on the mailbag. I already actually have – two mailbag questions waiting on us there. So it's a, I think Friday is going to be a big big episode for us, and you'll hear from us Friday, Saturday, and Sunday um, yeah. with the schedule this weekend. So it's a busy time. But like Derek said, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Uh, I'm thankful for this podcast, thankful for our friendship, Derek, and our you know relationship where we work together. I've, I've really enjoyed putting this podcast together with you over the last three months. I'm excited now that we're in basketball season and we get this push to – to see what we can do with this show. I also want to mention the Butcher's Pub before we wrap up. Uh, obviously, they won't be open on Thanksgiving Day, but please get out there if you're in the area of Corbin, or, uh, Winsburg, Kentucky, or Palmville, Kentucky, and get out to the pub and you know, show your support. Uh, they, they've been a big-time supporter of Kentucky Daily, and I know they would greatly appreciate some curbside and carry-out orders over the next few weeks as they navigate this shutdown, too. Uh, you can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. Uh, Derek, I hope you have an excellent Thanksgiving. I'm on my way to Chicago right now. I'm uh, going to be just a Keeley's family. It'll be me and Keeley and her mom and dad and her sister, so not a not a big group. Uh, I'll be back on Saturday, and we'll uh, tackle football Saturday and then Kentucky Richmond on Sunday. Yep, same to you, Sean. I agree with a lot of you said, a lot of what you said, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. That's Sean Smith. I'm Derek Terry, and this was another episode of Kentucky Daily. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.